It is so good to be with you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. It is a beautiful fall day. And the reason, and the people say, well, it's all gloomy outside. Man, that's rain, something we've needed for a long time. And give God the glory for bringing us some rain because he is the one who provides for us. And I'm thankful for you here being, uh, for y'all being here today because we come together and to worship. And you see this morning that we participate in the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper and so it is a way for us to commemorate and to remember our Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming back. And he tells us to do this often until he returns. And so we do that this morning. And what a better way to talk about the Lord's Supper than what he gave us. Now, we know he gave us salvation, but I want to talk to you this morning. We're going to be starting a new sermon series called Biblical Foundations. You see it up there. And the biblical foundations that the sermon series on are those, those key doctrines that we need to understand so deeply, not only for ourselves, but we can tell others about the love of God and about what God has done for us and to make sure that we know it backwards and forwards. Because the God wants us to know these things. It tells us all through Scripture that we have to be ready in season and out of season to give it a defense and account for what we believe. And so defending the gospel, you know, the word apologetics, a lot of people get that wrong about apologetics. They think we're apologizing for the, 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 the scriptures. No, we're not apologizing for it. what we're doing is we're defending those things. That's what it means is we're defending the scriptures. But before we get started, you know, we, we sang that song this morning, Come Thou Fount. It's one of my favorite songs. In that account, it explains the gospel to us in this one stanza. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Boy, I tell you, they don't write them like that anymore, do they? But it captures the gospel so well that we were apart from God, and God saw us apart from God, and so therefore he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us. That we may be reconciled to God and it's through the gospel. And this morning we're going to be talking about the gospel. And I also want you to know that you need to be prepared to unhinge your Bibles a little bit this morning because we're going to be in several different scriptures. I love doing that because we have to understand our Bible and how it all fits together. And so I'm thankful that we have this today as we look at the gospel. Now, I've got a brand new presenter thing, and, and, um, and we're going to be using this thing, and so I'm going to try this, and, uh, but I'm not ready for it yet. Let's all stand together. Our text this morning is in 1 Corinthians. Oh, I teased you a little bit, didn't I? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now then, this is the gospel. When you look at what you want to see and what we want to know about the gospels, it is right here contained. And you'll see it very clearly in verse 3 and 4, but there's a lot to it. And so starting in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, now everything that we do now, just stop and take a moment and look at these words. It's just not words on a page. It is a letter to the Corinthians, and Paul says, listen to this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which... Also, you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel. For I delivered to you as the first importance 
to what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We're going to read a little bit further about that and see some history here. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as it were to untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. Man, that just gets me right to the core. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But I labored even more with all of them, yet not but the grace of God with me. Whether it was then, whether then it was, or I, they, so we preach, and so you believed. Man, what a powerful piece of scripture. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're about to embark on a journey in knowing the good news. And, Father God, that you sought us as a stranger. And, Father God, you interposed us with your precious blood. And, Father God, if we're here this morning, and, Father, as we look upon this Lord's Supper, Father God, we search our hearts this morning. Are we prepared to take of this meal? Are we prepared to meet you one day? Are we prepared to say that I'm a believer and I have received the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, Lord God, if there's any here that has any doubts, any, any cloud in, in their heart, may it be cleared today by the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord God, what a good God you are. We thank you, we praise you for the, the grace that you've given us. It's in that name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'll leave that as a rhetorical question, but I want you to ponder it for a moment. Do you know what the gospel is? Well, to begin with, I'm going to tell you, the gospel, when you look into the Greek, it's called evangelion. Evangelion is where we get the word evangelism. And so it is, in evangelion, it's a couple words, it's good news. Many will say, well, you know, the gospel, it's good news. And yes, it is. It's fantastic news. You know, we, we get plastered all over the, the, the earth with news all the time. This is the best news ever. And it's the best news ever is because mankind needs the best news ever through Jesus Christ because that is how we find life. And it is fantastic news. It is good news. Have you thought about it deeply, the gospel? Or is it just something we read and say, well, you know, it's the gospel, we see it in scripture, or we see it in something we read? Have you thought about it deeply? Could you describe it to somebody, if so, you walk to somebody on the street and somebody asked me, remember being in season and out of season, if somebody walked up to you and say, give me a reason why I should believe in Jesus Christ, and you say, let me tell you about the gospel. And they'll say, well, what's the gospel? Well, it's good news. And let me tell you why it's good news. That's why we're here today. So you can feel confident in explaining the gospel. Now, here's the thing. It is so vast that we're going to have three sermons on the gospel. The first one today, and I'm going to try my presenter here and give it a go. Look at that. Technology is, works for me. Amen. My kids will tell you that dad and technology are not synonymous. 
But the gospel is, it's historical. What does that mean? It means that there was historical Jesus. He lived, and we're going to talk about that today. It means that it's central. It means that it's central to every human being on the planet. Because without the gospel, you have nothing. Now, I'm going to stand here and tell you that you may have all the money in the world, all the, all the gold and treasures in the world, but without Jesus Christ, you are absolutely poor. You have nothing because you're going to leave all those things here. You know, I heard it the other day that, um, that, that as, as I don't know who I was talking to, it might have been, uh, might have been Levi, it might have been Nathaniel, that they described it as sticking your hand in water. If you stick your hand in water, you create space. And when you pull your hand out of the water, it just goes right back to being water again. It means that when we leave this earth, the, the things that it's just going to, people will, will continue. They'll go on and do, do what they do. Your stuff that you have in your storage sheds or you have in your stuff will be distributed to somebody else. That is not life. Now, it's part of our life, yes, and it's good to have those things. Don't get me wrong. I believe that it's okay that God wants us to have those things. But things are not what it's all about. If you do not have Jesus Christ as Savior, you are absolutely spiritually dead. You have no hope. Now, this is all according to scriptures. And the reason why we need to know that it's central is because you need him. And it's central to every human being. And then we see that it's personal. I love that. Man, I could preach that right now about how personal Jesus is, but it's personal to every one of us. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, think about this for a moment, folks. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he's inside of us. He lives with us. He wants to, to see us grow and mature and to follow his will. And his will is never going to be easy. It's never going to be light. But with him, we can bear it. And so it's deeply personal. And when you hurt, and I'm telling you, I've had some people tell me some things today in church that I've been praying over. That some, there's some deep things going on in people's lives today. Right now, every one of you has something in your heart that you don't know how to do. That has this, then whether you ask for it or not, and, and there's some things coming upon you, I'm telling you, it's deeply personal because Jesus loves you. And He is our hope. Man, I'm telling you, I look around this world and I see people talking about hope and everything, and they'll put it in so many different places. My hope is nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That's it, folks. So. These three things, the gospel, historical, central, and personal. And this morning I want to tell you is that when we see that um, um, all of this, once again, it tells us to give an defense, give an account for what we do. Holding fast to the faithful word, Titus tells us. Holding fast to that faithful word and uh, that we can um, talk to each other and lift each other up by this faithful word. And so as we're here today, I'm telling you that... Here's the gospel, the historical side of the gospel. So when we look at the gospel's historical, what does it mean? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is, is that Jesus was alive. We see that he, he was born. Now, we're getting ready to have Christmas. How many people love Christmas? Amen. Boy, if you're not raising your hand, something's wrong here. I mean, even Hobby Lobby gets excited about it in July. I mean, come on. Think about that. 
Man, when I was in, I was, I was there in July, Hobby Lobby, and, and I saw this one lady, and she looked a little tired because she's putting up Christmas ornaments. This is Christmas. It, it, it is not about Santa Claus. It is not about um, all the little things that we've attached to that. It's about Jesus Christ. He was born. It tells us in Luke 2.11, For unto day a child is born. It tells us, For in the city of David there has been born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, when we come up, when we're getting ready to go to Christmas, you know, they talk about Black Friday and talk about all the things and getting really geared up and where the economy is really strong and we're going to have a good Christmas or not. I'm telling you, I have a good Christmas every Christmas because I know what it's about. It is not whether there's a Teletubby or a Tickle Me Elmo or a Cabbage Patch doll. Back in the 80s, I'm telling you, people fought, literally fought each other for a Cabbage Patch doll. And it was basically women's pantyhose stuffed with stuff. Yeah, that's a lot to get upset about. I'm dating myself, I get it. I don't know. I never saw the need for it. But when we look at it, we see that it's the incarnation. Luke 2.11, he says, he's born. And it's Christ the Lord. And so when we think about all that, we see also in John 1.14 that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, it comes to us. Now turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. It's the gospel of John. This, this This just thrills me. This thrills me to death because we see God doing something about our lostness. We see him engaging with us, with himself personally. And so we see in John chapter 1, verse 14, and I'm telling you, if you don't get excited about Jesus coming to the earth, you better be because he's coming again. But here we see the first time. And in verse 14 of John chapter 1, the gospel of John, and the word became flesh. The Word, you look at John 1, it's talking about the Word. He is the final Word. He is the Word. And that Word of God, the Logos of God, who was with God in the beginning, who was God and is God, is here among us. There's not any other religion like it. Where they, where whatever religion is that came down and saw humanity for what it is. Now they always have good advice for you and they have these good thoughts for you, whether it be Confucianism or Hinduism or Shinto or whatever it may be and Muslim. But there's only one who took part of himself and sent him to earth for us and it's Jesus Christ. And it tells us here, and the word became flesh and so God in his glory put on flesh. And look at this and dwelt among us. He dwelled among us, and that means that he was one of us. He was fully human, fully divine. Can you imagine what that's like? You being creator of everything and now putting on humanity. We've seen what humanity's like, right? And he became like one of us, fully human, fully divine. And it tells us that he dwelt among us. That means he ate with us. That means that, that, that he had fellowship with people. It means that he encountered hardship. He was a carpenter in a time when carpentry didn't pay anything. His family was poor. And he came to us. Now you would think that uh, if there was this, this huge arrival of a, of a, of a king, that there would be all kinds of the world would just open up and, and the, it would be part of the priestly class and there would be great pomp and circumstance. But this Jesus who came, came in a manger. Amen. 
He came to shepherds. Shepherds come to see him because he, it's, it's for everybody that he, come, he came to see. He came for all of us. And so when we look at that, he dwelt among us. And he goes on to say, and we beheld his glory. Glory is only begotten from the Father. The glory of God. We need to preach more about the glory of God. Because right now, it is what lights up heaven. And forevermore, it will light up heaven. There is no sun in heaven because the sun is there. And it emanates from him. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, I want you to see what it means to be in the incarnation. It tells us that, that he's full of grace and truth. Isn't it wonderful that we have a source of grace and truth in this world? There are so many words, so many things in this world today that just absolutely just depress us. But Jesus Christ is full of grace. That means it's unmerited favor for you. You don't have to do anything to earn it because there's no way we can earn it because Jesus, as we're going to see in this gospel, he paid it all. How in the world can I bring my filthy rags to God and say, here's my offering and this is what I want to pay for my salvation? He says, no, I've already paid it all. I gave of myself and I'm full of grace. It's free. Charis is the word for grace. It's free. When you look at that with all the truth, man, I'm telling you, we need more and more truth, folks. When I was in seminary, I studied a lot of philosophy. And I found out that philosophy is just a great big word that means nothing. It's true. I can read people like John Locke. I can read John Knox. I can read uh, all the uh, Augustine. I can read all those, those philosophers and all those people. And they just, it's just a great big word that means it's all about me. When I read about Jesus, it's all about him and what he's done. And so we see that he is, we're going to celebrate in a, in a month or so about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God coming into our realm and he had a purpose for that realm coming into that realm and this is what we see from here because we also see from his life the gospel truth number two is that he had a life it tells us that he had a life when we look into uh, um, into the bible a little deeply we see that he came as a carpenter he was, a, he was, uh, he was um, born into Mary, and then father, uh, Joseph was his stepdad or his, his, his um, parental father. But you see, he came from God. And so when we see this, we see that he had a life, and he's rabbi and his teacher. When we look at his life fully, we see that, that um, as he went into his ministry, it was all about the Father's business. Because why did Jesus come? It's to save and seek the lost. To seek out those who need Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Luke 19.10, I hope that's my last breath. He came to seek and save me. 
So when we look at this, we see in 2 Corinthians, yes, I hear pages turning already, let's go there. 2 Corinthians, we see chapter 5, verse 21. And the reason I put this in there, they said, what does it have to do with life? It has everything to do with life because here's what he did in that life. It tells us he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Boy, Break that down. Whole sermon right here. It tells us so clearly that he made him who knew no sin to be sin. That life that he he had as rabbi, teacher, as he was uh, discipling his disciples, as he was going along the earth, it had one mission for him to become sin. Him who knew no sin, him being perfect in this world, he came for us. He came for us because he took our sin. Praise God that I don't have to carry my sin, that Jesus carries that load, because I am unable to carry it. I'm unable to bear it. I'm unable to do anything about it. And he had to become sin that we might become the righteous God in him. And oh, I'm telling you, folks, there's so much here, but let me just say this. We needed him. And we need him now. Because there is no way you can be righteous in your own life without Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means saved. There is no way to be saved except through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. John chapter 14 verse 6. He is the way, the only way. He is the narrow road as Matthew describes it. I'm telling you folks, when we see that he became that for us, he went to the cross and took our sins, so much of our sins, that he took all of those things and he bared it on the cross. God turned his back because he could not look upon his own son and we see the shed blood and he paid it all. I don't think we truly understand the, 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 the enormity of the cross. I'm talking about the sin, every putrid, vile thing humanity has done. Jesus Christ is up there and he is, it's in his soul. It's in his life. And he is bearing it and he is paying for every one of them. And we have to realize, folks, that my, my personal one was right up there with him. And he... And he said, it's, I'll take it. I have to take it. Because he can't bear it. You can't bear it alone. Oh, I hope we realize that. Because we try to be righteous and try to do good things and all those sorts of things. But without Jesus Christ, where would we be? Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where would we be? Oh, we'd be walking around this planet doing our little jobs and everything, but there would be nothing beyond the grave. There'd be nothing for us. But with Jesus, there's everything. And he's there. And he's waiting. And one day we'll see him. But I'm going to tell you, folks, that he had life. But he also had death. Let's go back to our scripture in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, I want you to, verse 2, he says, I want you to, he says, I want you as you've received and which you also stand. This is what we're standing in, folks. This is what we believe. And when I mean stand, I mean this is our firm ground. 
This is, this is, the, this is the, the things that, that um, are so important to us. He says, by which you're saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, here it is. For I delivered you as first importance, as I also received, that Christ died. There's a lot of people out there will tell you that Jesus just swooned on the cross. That there was a, a great conspiracy I don't know if they had tinfoil hats back in that time frame, but they're tell there today. People putting on their little tinfoil hats and saying, oh, it's a conspiracy. Jesus didn't go to that grave. He didn't die. He, he, just, he just passed out. Well, I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ did not pass out. He died. The Bible tells us he died, and I believe it, because you see, there's Romans around the cross. And if anybody knows death, it'd be those Romans. And to make sure that he died, they thrust a spear into his heart. Because it tells us that water and blood came out and it pierced the sack around his heart. God's son died. Before he died, and he gave up his life, by the way, nobody took it. Because he's fully God, he laid down his life for us, willingly laid it down. And when he laid it down and he had his arms outstretched and he was continually praying for those, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he has his arms stretched out. And folks, if you don't get excited about this, if this doesn't pierce your heart, I don't know what will. He says, it is finished. Romans 8.1 tells us there's no condemnation now in Jesus Christ. We're free. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've received him, it says right here, he says, which I also received. It tells you right here in verse 3, for this importance, which I also received. You received the gospel of Jesus Christ. It tells us it's finished. And once that grace has been applied to your life and say, I want to receive this, I want Jesus Christ. It is finished, folks. Sin has been taken east, west, to the bottoms of the depths of the oceans. It is gone forever. He remembers it no more. And you are free, and you are saved, and you're going to live with Him forever. Amen. Praise God for that. Tell me that's not good news. That's the best news. You know, and I think if somebody tells me, what do you believe about the gospel? I believe it's good news, but let me tell you the best news. Because it is the main 12, through His own blood, that we are saved. Oh, have you ever thanked Jesus for his death? Have you ever been in your prayer time and thanking him for his death? Because without it, where would we be? I believe we ought to do that and say, thank you, God, and have thanksgiving in our hearts through his own blood. As we continue on, and I'm telling you, I'd love to preach more about that, but I'm going to tell you, there's so much more in my heart right now. That he was buried. Look at our scripture again. It tells us in verse 4. And he was buried. So what they did was. Is they took. Joseph Arimathea took his body. Because it was right before the Passover. And they took his body. And they didn't have time to prepare it. But Joseph Arimathea had a brand new tomb. Nobody had ever lain in there. And what that means is many times they shared tombs. But this one was brand new. Prepared for Joseph. Of Arimathea, and he took him and he put him into a tomb. And we tried to get pretty close here to what it looked like because this is pretty close to what it looks like. And that big stone over there, and he was buried in there. 
Now, do you bury live people? No. We bury dead people. Who was, he was very much dead. And so they put him in that tomb, and they, they wrapped him in some cloths and everything. And they put him in there, and they laid him down because they were going to come back after there, and they're going to actually prepare his body for burial. And that means putting some spices and that sort of thing on. And so they laid him in a new tomb, and they rolled the stone, they sealed it, and they guarded it. Because, you know, here's the thing that really gets me, is Pilate and the Romans believed Jesus more than the disciples did. That's what gets me. Many times I talk to people of, of, of Christians, and, and many times I've seen non-Christians believe more than Christians do. You know, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does a Christian. Because if you believe that this world just happened on its own, that takes a lot of faith, folks. That something could come out of nothing just by chance. No, there was, it was not by chance, it was by the Word of God. And he spoke all those to existence. But I'm telling you, folks, he was buried. When we look at this, we see that they put him in there. And when you bury somebody, you intend them to stay there because that's, where they, that, that's the proper place for them. But, oh, we're not dealing with... We're not dealing with one of us. We're dealing with God Almighty. Look what it says here. He was buried in grave clothes, stone, seal, guarded. But there's resurrection. There's resurrection. It tells us in verse 4, and on the third, raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. When you look at verse 3 and verse 4, you see according to the Scriptures. What is, where is all that found? You can go back in antiquity into the Old Testament, and you'll see that Isaiah prophesied these things. You go back and you'll see Ezekiel did it, Jeremiah did it, Daniel did it. And we see all these talking about the Son of Man and talking about that according to the Scriptures, he was raised. It's his own words that he's talking about here in the Gospels. He says, I'm coming. He says, after three days, I'll be raised again our Lord Jesus is alive they came looking for the dead and when they came looking for the dead there's an angel there and says why are you looking for the living among the dead he is not here he is risen the cross the death the tomb all very real things and though, and, but when you come to the resurrection, it is the hope for all who believe, it tells us. He is the hope for all who believes. And his resurrection, it tells us here, and he was raised according to the scriptures, the peace, joy, and hope that we have is Jesus Christ. Man, it really puts life in perspective. So let's back up from that for a moment. It really puts life in perspective. And what I mean by that is, what am I striving for in this life? Is it a good job? Is it to get more things or to leave something for our family? What is the main mission in life? Why are we here? Why did God place us on this great big terrestrial ball? Is it just to gain the whole world? No, it's to become restored with the Father. Jesus came that we may have that relationship. He's alive and he's coming back one day, by the way. That's really when we're going to talk about the gospel central to our lives. That's a little bit, that's next week. 
But I'm telling as we look at this, we see that because he's alive, folks, after we die, we will be too, we'll be alive. Because he did it all. You see, the cross was sin. Jesus killed it. Death, Jesus killed it. He overcame it. And that's good news. Because I could never do that. I could never pay for my own sin. I could never do this. But because of Jesus, I can. Because of Jesus, I can receive what he has given to us. And so the gospel is, it is fantastic news. It's, it's um, I, I thought about it this past week. I said, that's, that's tremtastic news. I put some words together. It's fantastic and tremendous. And here's the great thing about this. It's for every one of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so for every one of us, God has a passion for us. He has, he has design for us. It tells us in Psalm 139 that he designed us. Not only did he design us, he knows where we're walking, knows what we're doing, knows where we're getting up, knows when we're laying down. He's the, he knows all of those things, and he knows every one of us so well. And he's given us something great. He's given us the gospel. He's given us his son that we may have life. So whether we are rich, whether we are poor, whether we are famous <laughs> or not, whether we are young or whether we are old, it doesn't matter about race or nationality or whatever. The gospel is good news for everyone. Praise God. And so as we come to the end of our time together and we're getting ready to partake in the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about that for a moment. In my life, can I honestly say that I have received the good news of Jesus Christ? He says this, he says, by which you're saved. Receiving that good news and saying, I want that in my life. I want Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. I want Jesus Christ to live in my life. I want him. I want to forsake the world and all the things in there because this is not my home. And I want my home to be with him. Oh, praise God, this is not my home. And so when we think about that for a moment, I want you to just know, before we partake of this, supper, this, this, uh, this meal, this Lord's Supper, this great thing that he's asked us to do, I want you to be super confident in your heart about you believe in him. Now, the second thing is this, because the Bible tells us very clearly that we need to examine ourselves before we partake of this that we must do some pretty hard examinations. Now, I know I'm not a great test taker. I don't like tests, but we better examine our hearts. Because if we do this in an unworthy manner, it's sickness in our soul. And so perhaps you're here today and we're about to take this, and there's some pretty glaring things in your life that you need to come talk to Jesus about. And to, and to, get, that, to get that cleared up. And say, God, this is me, and I, I've done these things, and I don't want to participate in your supper in an unworthy manner. So we're going to have a time here.
that you can come and say, man, I, I want salvation. I want Jesus Christ, and, and, uh, and I'll walk you through that. Or you can pray, and, and we'll, we'll go through that. But if you're here this morning, and, you, and before you take this, man, there's some things that I just need to come clean about. We need to do that. We need, to, we need to come before him and say, God, I thank you for it. And as we partake of this supper, as we hold the bread in our hand, and we hold the little cup that symbolizes his blood, just know that you're fulfilling a commandment of God. That he's asked us to do that. Oh, what a thrilling thing to worship. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. It's a day where we get to open up our Bibles and see about the good news, the great news of Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Fathers, we're here this morning, and we start the, the, this, um, this time, this very special time of the Lord's Supper. Father God, I pray that we will be responsive to the, the leadership you have in each and every heart. Oh, Holy Spirit, come in this place. And, Father God, that we come and we spend some time with you. And, Father, we just thank you for it. Thank you because we can do this. Thank you, God, that we have this to do until you come back for us. What a great reminder it is of the gospel and the grace that you've poured out on us. We do this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.